Welcome, welcome, scribes and scribblers. Do you like all the conversation and water cooler talk of your local stationery store, but wish you could get it at home? Uh, we really hope you do. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. We are both a rinky-dink operation and a nibs and ink operation. Uh, coming to you from the cozy abode of our co-hosts, our initial studio, our fiery crucible, if you will. Uh, welcoming back a multitude of uh, contributors. But uh, first up, uh, a very generous benefactor, the illustrious Sharon Zah. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, next, welcoming back a uh, paired set, we have not Max, but Mark Hobson. <laughs> Uh, and also the other caretaker of the house, uh, Sophia. Hello. I'm uh, looking for love in all the wrong places, but you can call me Chucks. Ladies and gentlemen, what are we uh, what are we writing with today? Sharon, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, sure. So I jumped on the new M605, Pelican M605 white transparent bandwagon. It's the newest pen that you see all over Instagram other than the Ocean Swirl. But yeah, so I have one of these in a medium nib which um, it's a beautiful pen. It is currently filled with Sailor Delta light blue, mainly because I've actually found that the recent Pelican nibs are probably a little bit drier than what I'm used to. So it's not as gushy as a lot of the other Pelicans that I've had as of late. Um, But yes, I have the Pelican M605. And following in Chrissy's footsteps from last episode, I do have a second pen, and I only brought this one out when I had a sneak peek as to what Sophia was writing with today. But uh, I have the Graph von Faber-Castell Anello in titanium, filled with Pilot Iroshizuku Asagao. And this one's a really cool pen, actually. They It's discontinued. They no longer make it. But I was told um, that... The reason why they stopped making the Anello Titanium Graf von Faber-Castell was because it actually cost too much to make and they weren't making money off it. Um, the titanium, titanium as a material is quite difficult to work with, yeah. or so we've been told. Yes? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they weren't making any money on it, but it's a really cool pen. It's got very interesting textures and, like most graphs, it's got a fantastic nib. Okay, Great. well... Sophia, what are you, what's your take on it? <laughs> uh, well, absolutely, I agree. It's a buttery smooth nib, joy to write with. And when you're talking about texture, the body is just lovely to handle. So the pen I'm using is uh, the Classic in Pernambuco Wood. Uh, it's a gorgeous light colour. And I'm wondering if it actually changes the more you handle it. It's still brand new because I just got this for, for Christmas last year. But yeah, I look forward to carrying this with me every day. And what I've got inked is violet blue from Graph as well, but I'm not a big fan, so I can't <gasps> wait. I know. <laughs> I love violet blue. I'm one of those weird people. I happen to like the fact that it's not a super wet ink, and it is a it shades like crazy, mm. and it's got a nice halo around uh, around the line when you write with a slightly broader nib. So oh it's got gosh. a bit of a blue purple halo. Oh, you're making me second-guess myself now. Well, I haven't given it a chance. It's not for everyone. I know Diana was not a fan. <laughs> well, Mike, well, what are you writing with today? I've got a Schaefer Targa. It's actually 80s vintage, and it's made in Australia. Yeah, it's quite a nice pen. Uh, and it's in a gold trim. Oh, gold body as well. There you go. Mm. Well, what have you got inked up in it? Um, nice and boring Schaefer Blue. Okay. Uh, well, I have the... Uh, 
Pilot Custom 823 Clear with the uh, FA nib, and I've got the Pelican Edelstein Jade in it. It's just a fun, like, uh, it's an ink that shows off a, a lot of shading, and it, um, you know, really benefits from the increased flow and the, the softness of the FA nib. That's it for what we're writing with people of the podcast. Um, let's take it to our mailbag and review section. Now, Sophia, you and Mark were behind two major events for the podcast towards the end of last year. One was the Melbourne Pen Show episode, where you interviewed more than a dozen people at the show. And the other is our official Instagram account. Indeed. So we've received some great feedback on the Instagram that I wanted to share with everyone. So we've got Felix the Cat 5000 and he says, awesome, you guys are here on IG now as well. I love your show. I did an internship in Australia for a year in 2005 and I miss living there. And he was based in Tansville. And it was so nice to listening. Oh, so nice listening to the accent and what's happening with fountain pens down under. You all are doing such a great job. Thank you, smiley face. And a little bit extra there. And just finished listening to the Melbourne Pen Show interview. What a fantastic episode. I love the format and so well done. And it's so great to hear the enthusiasm. That's what we pen people love. Agreed. And another little comment from Strings and Pedals. Uh, Thanks for making my long bus rides and tidying up sessions more enjoyable. You guys talk a lot more about Japanese pens than I'm used to, which is very interesting. So I'm not sure if you've done that already, as I'm still catching up on episodes. But maybe interviews with small, independent Australian pen makers or Australian ink manufacturers would be interesting. And in reply to the Nib episode, a Dutch company sells an entirely 3D printed pen i've held it but not tried it and she's got a link here which we're happy to share on the facebook page if you guys are interested no so i want you to send out the link https and then we've got nib grinder uh, from georgia awesome episode so keep the comments coming guys actually just an interesting comment uh, i always find it funny that the u.s don't know anything about japanese pens presence over there you think they would but they just don't know about it. Well, the, I, the, the only pen company is Parker, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a little bit unfair. Yeah. <laughs> I think the uh, Japanese presence in the US is increasing, but the pricing is really quite skewed. Mm. So for what you pay for, for instance, a sailor pen in Japan, uh, in Japan compared to what you pay in the US, the, it's such a disproportionate gap that I think it makes it a little bit probably less accessible. Mm. And yeah, I found that US um, users don't like to buy internationally. They would much you want to stay in the US. Yeah, they yeah. prefer to support their local. Also, if you like buy Amazon or Amazon Prime and it's like there in a day. Yeah, it's usually there 24 like, hours. We wait. don't have that convenience, don't we? Yeah. Oh, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We've learned to be patient. Yeah, with, <laughs> with Australia Post, we tend to wait upwards of three, four weeks for stuff at, stuff at times. So it doesn't really phase us too much. But um, yeah, definitely in the US, I think they've there's just a bigger presence for some of the other brands. Yeah. It's just surprising, though. You know? And yeah. I think in general, Japanese companies, their their main priority is domestic. So they'll spend a little bit more time with marketing and everything else locally rather than worrying about Australia or the US. But I think when our community grows even more and there's more demand, then they might look into it a bit more seriously. Mm. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, Mark, you, you know a little bit more about this, um, but I, I imagine we'd be closer to the, you know, more closely considered as like the Asian market than say the US would, you know. Definitely. Totally. Yeah. We're not, well, we're almost considered our own market. Yeah. But not quite. You know, there is obviously stuff that goes to Asia that does not even reach here because we're just so far away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that takes us to our main topic today, which is success stories in fountain pen marketing. You know, you don't have to spend very long with fountain pens to know that some brands have a bigger presence than others. Some are a little more well-recognized and, uh, you know, without uh, even discussing quality, there's a little more prestige to some. So I'm going to turn it over to, uh, you know, three of our more well-researched, you know, uh, luxury salespeople, I suppose. Fountain pen marketing, who's, who's done it well? Who's really made a, a nice niche for themselves? Uh, let's, let's start with Mark. Oh, goodness. It's a really difficult one, to be honest. Lamy? Lamy is a good starting place. Like, I think a, a lot of the marketing, it's, it's mostly word of mouth. Yep. There's not a lot of strong marketing out there for a lot of brands. But Lamy, they've done it well. Uh, I mean, the, the Safari... I mean, essentially, hold on, what's this? <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, and Pelican. Oh, and Pelican. Yeah. Well, Germany, yeah. the German brands tend to do it really well. Mm. Yeah. They do it incredibly well. Product yeah. placement in movies and TV yeah. shows and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Lamy's um, also like a darling of the design community, I've yeah. found. Like a lot of designers. I, Very Bauhaus. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. <laughs> deep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't said that in uh, maybe maybe three or four episodes. Oh, <laughs> bring so, back Bauhaus. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to our quarter today. Um, but yeah, it is it is a darling of the design community. I think if I if I meet someone that is using a fountain pen that's like not in the fountain pen community, chances are they're probably a designer with a Safari. But is Safari success just because of their ubiquitousness, or is that a word ubiquity? I think I think you had it. I think the first one is right. I think yeah, it's... they're 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 practically everywhere. Yeah, it's they're so distinctive in design. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're looking for a fountain pen, that's just where people will start off with. Yeah, well, they, they are. They share that's a lot. Strategy. They share a lot of uh, a lot of uh, qualities with Legos. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, they are both ABS plastic. And uh, you know, that's very uh, true. Yeah. yeah, and they're like bright, bright. Yes, yes, uh, particularly nib up. Um, but they're and modular. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and the the brightly colored nature I think appeals to a lot of people. And you can get the same model in you know eight different colors. I think with the Lamy style of marketing, it probably harkens back to more of the uh, traditional appeal. So they would have the product placement. You see Lamy's in quite a number of uh, advertisements and also in quite a lot of promos. Um, They've got the interest fun fact element to them. So the Lamy 2000 being in the Museum of Modern Arts, as well as being made from right shield material. Um, being being the same design for the last what 60, 60 years is it sixty so. 50, 50, fifty years fifty years nineteen sixty six yeah it was yep. the last year Mark last has a look on his face like he just answered a Jeopardy question <laughs> <laughs> Mark <laughs> um, whereas I think nowadays some of the pens that I've seen um, get uh, a lot of traction has really been through social media marketing and that's almost the new wave of marketing so things such as I think last year, Woodshed Penco 
that I saw that all over Instagram. I couldn't find a web page. I wanted to order one of those pens. Mm. And all I could find was a Facebook link to the guy who makes them and an Instagram post where everything was sold. Like everything was sold out. He posted a whole b- bunch of pens that he made and they were all sold out. But everyone on Instagram, everyone that I follow on Instagram was showing off these beautiful acrylic pens that were made by this one guy. And he just hit it huge all through social media. Um, and I don't know if that type of marketing is going to take over the traditional um, big brands um, or if they're just going to appeal to a different market. Um, am I, I going to see like a pilot dank memes page soon? <laughs> oh, like how, how 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 millennial are we reaching? What there's that Instagram that fountain pen memes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's not a very deep Instagram. I don't no, know if you've seen this. <laughs> to our last episode where we talk about um, a lot of us being users Mm. and so we come into a lot of um, people come into this hobby through their first gateway pen their entry level pen and um, I think so for people like us um, traditional media might not be the best way to attract um, us into buying a new pen Mm. so that's why we mostly get exposed to um, like things like Instagram um, Facebook yeah. Well, that, that that also has to do a lot with um, the like different markets that are around. Because I imagine that there's a lot less of a maybe social media push in, say, somewhere like Japan. Um, that's just speculation on my part. But um, oh no, social Instagram's huge. In really? Japan. Okay. Again, speculation on my part. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in terms of what the the companies do, I'm, I'm not sure about. Uh, you know, if the the companies have different approaches for different markets, or if it's just different companies with different approaches, if that's a, if that makes sense. But there there have definitely been some missteps, some some recent missteps by trying to um, capitalize on some <laughs> some recent things. Uh, <laughs> I, springs to mind. I'm, so yeah, I'm going to talk about the Conan one. <laughs> yeah, the Conan. Yeah, so the, the Conan one, which you know, I am sure had like all of the best intentions, um, and that they were. It was a men's health thing, and there was a, a gentleman's pen. The branding was straight aggressive. out of the '60s. It was it was, a, it was a, aggressively Don Draper ish, and they got called out on it. And the reaction to it was also not the best. No, it was not. Yeah. Do you, do you remember uh, more about it, Mike? Not really. Um, yeah, yeah. I keep fighting saying Max, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll get my name changed. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just house. God. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I can't That's remember. What was the reaction? What, what did they say? They made a post on Instagram. Oh, no. Sorry, not on it was Instagram. like, don't worry, ladies, we've got something for you too or something yes, like that. Yes, that was the reaction yeah. on Facebook. So Which... they got called out on Facebook for their limited edition gentleman's pen mm. where they said, oh, is this, this is very targeted marketing. It's 2017. You can expand your um, market share a little bit and open up your consumers to more than just one gender. And they got called out on it. Some people weren't impressed. I was in the not impressed camp. I I know that they had great intentions behind it, but all the messaging was that, look, if you're a chick, this ain't the pen for you because this is a man's pen. This is a... It's a gentleman's pen. It it is for the gentleman. I'll I'll find some of the marketing bump later, but... Yeah, it it was both sexist (laughs) and super classist. Yes. And then afterwards, they actually responded with exactly what you said. Don't worry, ladies, we've got something in the works for you as well. 
Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, I can't wait to see how pink and small it is. <laughs> <laughs> the sad thing is, really, like to clarify, I, I'm, I'm not actually marketing, it's actually public relations specifically, but that actually feeds into this more because this is more on the lines of they could have handled this so much better. For example, they could say, yes, it's meant to be reminiscent of that style. They could have said, you know... Like, that they, anybody could use it. Yeah, Anyone yeah. could use it. It's a pen. There's literally nothing stopping you. Yeah. But the whole point of them just separating completely missed the point about what everyone was aiming for. Yeah. And it just made everything worse. And watching them backpedal just became more and more cringeworthy. Yeah. I, guess, I guess what we're saying is that, um, Conan, you can hire uh, Patrick... Uh, you know, he's, he's clearly got a good grasp on, on how to deal with this. Uh, th- this is our end game, really. Getting jobs for our hosts. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, so to the release actually said, The Gentleman's Pen is a limited edition series designed for a modern gentleman who prefers to write with style. I mean, that's, that's like... Yeah, I mean, it's not bad yet, but yeah, I remember it getting worse. Yeah, yeah. it did. Oh, oh no. no! So we're looking at uh, a man very well dressed with sunglasses, looking out into the distance. Does he have a fedora? A, He's got a Van Dyke beard. Oh, well, okay. yeah. <laughs> Made in vote Movember. Is he really wearing a fedora? No, he's no, not. No, no, he looks like. Well, you can feel it. He could be. And don't get me wrong, I actually really like Koenig pens. I think they've got a, they've got one of the most unique feelings. Well, you systems. shouldn't. You're not a man. No. Well, I don't like this particular. I thought, I thought you were going to say, don't get me wrong, I really like fedoras. <laughs> I actually do like fedoras. I do own one. You do own one from, yeah. from the um, Alicia Keys phase of your... <laughs> yep, absolutely. Oh, no, standard I, one. I, I, I have worn some hats. <laughs> we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> Welcome to the hat section. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is our spin-off of the nib section. Uh, let's let's uh, sort of refocus our, our talk about um, marketing. And, you know, we mentioned that some, some brands have like a grasp of a particular selling point. And for this brand that we're going to talk about, they're really kind of effortlessly the prestige brand. There's a lot of people I know who've been given these uh, pens as gifts and have never expressed an interest in fountain pens before because this is a classy gift to give to someone. But uh, Mont Blanc, uh, and it's uh, probably one of the most recognizable um, fountain pen companies in the world, particularly outside of the fountain pen community. Usually, if I get spotted with a pen by someone older, they'll ask me, is that a Mont Blanc? So I think when we when we think about Mont Blanc, for me, I think they've really hit their marketing correctly and they've made their brand so well known amongst um, both users, collectors, non-fountain pen people, the general gift shopper even, because they've placed themselves in, in the market as a prestige brand, as a luxury brand, but it's not so luxury that you can't afford it. Mm. They've got it in a decent price point where it's accessible. It's not an everyday type of accessible, but it is accessible. They've got the physical boutiques. They've got exclusivity and they've got some great celebrity presence. The Johnny Depp campaigns, the Hugh Jackman mm, campaigns. Jackman, yeah. They're they're not really selling you a pen per se. They're selling you a lifestyle, um, and that might be your entrance to getting a Mont Blanc one four six, for instance, which they market in those advertisements, which you can see in half of like, almost every single airline magazine. Yep. But once you get in there then it opens up the doors to all sorts of special editions, collector editions, writer's editions, limited editions, editions upon editions upon editions. And 
I think that in itself is a bit of a marketing strategy where they appeal to the the collector or we were sort of um, mentioned it before in the last episode, but the accumulator inside of you who wants to be part of an exclusive group of people who have access to a limited number of these uh, special pens. And I, I own a couple of Mont Blancs myself and I think they're, I I don't buy them for the writing experience exclusively. Yeah, let's well, just say. I, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Do you think that with that prestige and that luxury and that price point, is it is it actually in quality wise, is it in a class of its own in the fountain pen world, or is it very comparable? Have they just uh, you know just found a a great way to pitch themselves? Probably this is going to be a bit of a controversial statement. I don't actually think they're pen quality is the best or is even representative of the price that you pay to get one of them. However, I will say they have a very unique feel to them. A Mont Blanc nib feels like no other nib. It's it's quite unique in terms of um, how it hits the paper, the type of feedback, the type of um, softness that you that you find in some of them. But I I think you are paying part of it to be part uh, to access the Mont Blanc lifestyle or to access the Mont Blanc exclusivity. Right, right. They've basically just done really amazing things with the brand. Like, yeah. you could you go anywhere, and the two brands that non- people normally know about is Mont Blanc or Parker, yeah. and you're not really paying for the quality of the pen at the end of the day. It, it is. They're great pens, yeah. but obviously, like Sharon said, you're not paying exactly for what you're getting. You're paying for that little white star on the end of the finial. But it's not to say that they don't do innovative designs. Like, I happen to really like the Bohème from the Mont Blanc mm. range. And the thing that gets me with the Bohèmes, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I'm probably more on the collector end of the scale, is that they change out their designs once every two years, once every year or once every two years, so that the older designs get retired. And once they get retired, you go, oh... I wish I'd gotten that a couple of years ago. Where can I find a brand new one? And that's where the collectability comes in. Exactly. And those aren't even limited editions. Mm. I went on this massive hunt a couple of months back for the Mont Blanc Boheme in the Lilas Pirouette, which is probably a 2009, I want to say, edition, 2009 or 2011 edition. And it was just because it had a pearl on it. (laughs) Like, there was nothing (laughs) else about it. It was a pretty color and had a pearl on it. But it was something that I'd seen ages ago. I couldn't afford it back then. And now I was busting my gut trying to find one. I did find one, by the way. But the question <laughs> is, if, if it was available now, would it be still desirable? Mm. Well, Is it yeah. desirable because it's not available? I think it's desirable because it's less accessible. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's less accessible. It's harder to get. And especially for me, I have user pens. I have pens that I use on a daily basis and I have pens that I stash away. And the stashing away part of me really wants one of these pens that you can't get anymore. You can't walk into a store and get anymore for its uh, uh, rare, rarity. I find interesting, what I find interesting about um, Mont Blanc is that they, often they create the illusion of exclusivity or limited availability-ness without actually making the heart, the pens, that difficult to get. Mm. So you'll notice um, a lot of their so-called limited editions, they're available like, in the thousands. Yeah, mm. totally. Like, uh, I mean, if, if there is more than like 2,000 of a pen, is it really that exclusive? 
and they, they, they can charge that exclusive markup, but really it's, it's not as difficult to get as, say, um, like a Pelican um, special edition, which might only be produced in the hundreds. Maybe there's some fine print next to it. Mathematically... Uh, a limited edition because we are going to start making these at some point. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the writers' editions um, yeah. of the Mont Blancs are available in the thousands. Yep, it's definitely not in the hundreds. Yep, about nine thousand, eight, yeah, nine thousand per run. It's but almost not a limited, is it? Exactly. Yeah, it's just because it's numbered. Right. Yeah. And um, Mont Blanc also have very aggressive price control on their pens, so they they don't allow their retailers to put them on sale. Just mm. um, Randomly, this well, is, this is that, the, that maintains that exclusivity. This is tangentially related. Um, it's it's a similar sort of uh, approach, uh, but Nike. Uh, I don't know if you know this. They're not allowed to put their Air Force Ones, uh, white Air Force Ones, on sale. Oh. They don't go on sale. Yeah. Um, white Air Force Ones are always because they they're always going to get moved. Like they might sit still for two months, but they're they're not allowed to go on sale. Mm-hmm. Like. But for Mont Blanc, it's part of that maintaining the image. Well, and the availability, because uh, my store actually approached Mont Blanc to actually have it within Dimex, and they just wouldn't allow it. Dimex turned around... Mont Blanc turned around and said, we've got saturation in that square kilometre area already. We don't need any more. We're like, oh, please. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the Rolex of the pen world. Well, it is the Rolex of the It is the Rolex of the pen world, yeah. Well, you know, regardless of um, how you cut it, you know, Mont Blanc is definitely a pretty sizable presence um, in the fountain pen world. And uh, yeah, we will we'll throw some info in there if you want to do some uh, extra reading. You don't get any extra credit for it, mostly because this is not a course and we have no authority. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, can I... Um, is there anything that you guys can share in terms of what people are wanting when they come into a store or if they're um how they're finding out about certain items 90 percent 90 percent of the our customer base is just walk in mm-hmm. like dimmix itself has like zero marketing mm-hmm. which like i reckon we could we could probably have like something in a airline magazine or something like that and i reckon that would probably draw attention but not yeah. it's not a big marketing yeah. industry no, it's you, just all word of mouth. You've also got a monopoly, though. Yeah, They're the yeah. only one. Because you, you do have a monopoly now that Borders is shut down. Yeah, mm. it's yeah. pretty much, the, it's pretty much the byword for, for like, bookshop. If someone's like, I've just got to drop by a Dimex. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's the one. Especially now that Amazon is now associated with stuff other than books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got Book Depository, which, by the way... Which is owned by Amazon. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> she knows. Yeah. I know. Oh, yeah, I, know. Know. <laughs> I know. Of course know. you know that, yeah. But um, just a question, guys. Like, you know, how easily swayed would you be if they did up the traditional marketing? If you did see more of one particular pen brand in this the TV magazine. show was proudly brought to you by Lamy or something like that. Yeah, like, like we, we were watching yeah. The Crown the other day. You know, it's, it's been a while. Like, we've been catching up on that. But, you know, just seeing the pens that they've included, has that made you want to buy that pen? No. I don't think not so. Not really. No. I think word of mouth does massive amounts if you're already slightly interested. Yeah. Like, I may have mentioned that my first foray into the pen world was because there was a cute girl that liked the safari. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So direct uh, pen companies spend a lot of money also then on like things like events, um, special promotional things for um, their retailers. Because I think that's the point of access, right, to customers through the retailers. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure that they have budgets to cover things. Specific yeah, for specific um, retailer-specific events, yeah, that sort in- of promotion. It's interesting because these companies are very old and they're a bit well-established. 
but then the, the marketing's almost like it's a reemergence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's um, like Pelican Hubs. It's probably the only thing that I think was as successful. Yeah, and that's yeah. still kind of taking its baby steps, mm. you know. Because I, I can't think of any other brand that have come out with an event specifically for them and encouraging people to come together and try something new. Um, oh, you guys haven't been to the Lamy laser tags that have been... There's a Lamy laser tag. <laughs> we need to make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> guys, you know... Dr. Lamy, are you listening? Just put me and Patrick in your PR department. <laughs> just like blank piece of paper. We'll bring the pens. It's fine. Like, See, that's much better than the idea that I had back in the day for Lamy. I, I ran a ad for the Lamy All-Star Safari. Oh, no, sorry, the All-Star Raspberry. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we did poster adverts. We did poster adverts and uh, magazine adverts. Okay. But that was a long time ago. Which magazines? The artsy ones. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, The architecture, a lot of architecture magazines and design magazines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think um, what we've definitely seen is that word of mouth is really carrying through a lot. And I think the best example of this was when you, uh, you Chuck, actually started your custom 823. <laughs> yeah. oh, you you trendsetter. You tr- oh, my and, God. And everyone in uh, Fountain Pens Oceania, Oceania started looking at 823s. I wasn't everyone even the first wanted one. one. I just... And, yeah, and even though I don't like it, ultimately. <laughs> I wasn't even... I, like it. I bought one. I actually bought yours yeah, because I... I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel so excluded. I, I want in on the 823 plan. There was other people yeah. who had them before. For me, I was just talking about it. But you, well, you, you marketed it well. Yeah, yeah, very well. Yeah. yeah, and it was just that word of mouth where I thought, I think for a period of time, we were seeing one eight to three a week. Yes. Or more mm-hmm. <laughs> on the yeah. page. Is there, because the, the current one of that in the group is definitely the Ocean. Well. <laughs> the Ocean, no, the Pilot Custom Urushi. I've seen like four oh, of them. Yeah, on yeah, the yeah. red. Yeah. The red, I mean, I know that's a new pen, but yeah. everyone seems to be getting one of those. And the 845, that... Yeah, the 845. Yeah. yeah, and it's also like if no one in the group has one, it's like uh, I could be the first. And then if like <laughs> two people in the group have one, it's like oh, I could be that group. I'm in the special click. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's there's definitely part of that. I had real FOMO so with the our, Ocean Swirl. That's yeah. our advice to um, fountain pen companies. Um, make friends with your local fountain pen podcasters and um, fountain pen communities and we'll do your marketing for you. Absolutely. Yeah, personalities, I think, is number one. Like, we were talking about um, Goulet and the fact that he's got such a strong reputation. You can trust him in his reviews. Uh, and so with our own fountain pen Facebook group, you know, people know Chuck. So they're like, oh, he knows what he's talking about. Let's give it a go. I don't. I, just, <laughs> I don't, by the way, guys. I, I just have a low voice. <laughs> but are there any other personalities in the oh, – like there's SBRE Brown – like, well, he, he did his ink, didn't he? He's the Ackerman ink. Yeah, that's yeah. that's come out again Which is in, now the available bottle, in the big yeah, bottle. In the, in the massive master, bottle, the original the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On on the word of communities, then there is that. Uh, Dear Mean got the the Reddit, the fountain pens of Reddit. Um, uh, Earl Grey. Yeah, yeah. Which um, I I still haven't seen in person, but the fact that it's like about it's an ink made for a Reddit group is that's a definite first. You know. So uh, to round out the episode, um, I think we find that um, for fountain pens, it's still such a niche product that really traditional marketing doesn't 
work that well. But the um, the company that has really succeeded in traditional marketing is Montblanc. But I think even for Montblanc, they're not just selling a pen; they're selling lifestyle. And I think mo they make most of their money not even from pens. They do it through their spin-off fragrance. Yeah, fragrances, watches, leather goods. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, the 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 pen is what they're known for, and it gives them that reputation for engineering and precision and so on. But they've managed to associate all these other products with those qualities and yeah. now it's like the go-to brand if you're a like a male professional and you want something that's sort of discreet but classy like i know so many doctors who like um have montblanc wallets you know briefcases and so yeah. on you know if they want something that's black that's not too flashy that, that looks good montblanc is like the default yeah you don't want to mix up your uh, montblanc fragrance and ink bottles either <laughs> <laughs> Well, you give them that little. <laughs> yeah, but not not every fountain brand can be a Mont Blanc. No. Some of them are Lego. <laughs> Some of them are Lego. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, that's uh, that's all we're gonna do for fountain pen marketing for now. I'm sure that it's it's a very ubiquitous topic. We're gonna touch on it later. I'm pretty sure we've already touched on it in other episodes. Uh, but that'll take us to our recommendations section uh, now. If this is your first episode listening, this is, this is a weird one to start on, but if it is your first, this is where we recommend things that may or may not be fountain pen related, you know, it's just things that uh, us as hosts like and want to share with people. Uh, I, uh, I'll start off. Mine is a Brooklyn, it's a music recommendation. It's a Brooklyn band uh, called Big Thief, and they do kind of a folky, kind of a moody uh, sort of pop rockish stuff and it's really 90s reminiscent um you know the guitars will just go straight through you it's it's very uh melancholy stuff you know if you're having a bad day and you want to sit in it uh listen to that if you're having a great day and you want to have a bad day yeah <laughs> yeah um it's very emotionally intense stuff I, I highly recommend it if you need to start on just one song i would recommend uh paul by big thief Guys, we need to get Chuck a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> no, guys, I'm, I'm just very comfortable with my emotions. And some of those are sad. Some of those are as low as my voice. <laughs> Let's go over to Sharon. Um, so I have a book recommendation, and I'm going to completely butcher the pronunciation of this, so forgive me. So I got given this book right before Christmas, um, and it's the little book of Hugh, Danish Secrets to Happy Living, uh, and that's pronounced, uh, sorry, that's spelled H-Y-G-G-E. Um, and yeah, it's a great little book. It's a real uplifting book. I should lend you my copy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Both of these, both of these suggestions, we're going to create an equilibrium in our listeners. <laughs> you know, ideally, read the book while listening. Oh, that's going to mess you up. <laughs> um, I, I, I believe. Uh, do, do, you, do you want to tell us about that book again? <laughs> So this is like a cup of mulled wine. <laughs> it's actually a very, um, it's a uplifting book. It talks about all sorts of things like um, 
a little games to improve your day. It has a couple of um, Danish self-care. Danish self-care. How to treat yourself right? Yeah. By eating Danishes? <laughs> no, but they do have some food okay. recommendations in there. There's stuff about you know giving yourself a bit of time. Small games that you can play with friends and family. Uh, but it's a great little book. Um, it's one of the bestsellers of last year. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the read. Uh, I- I thought you had a, a bit of a music recommendation as well. Oh, I didn't want to step on your toes. No, no, no. By all means, by all means. Um, you, you were very excited to talk about it. The timing's not quite right, but um, the day that we're recording this actually is the day after, two days after uh, Taylor Swift's new MV dropped, um, Endgame featuring Ed Sheeran. And I must have been completely off my face on Friday, but I listened to that and watch that music video possibly for six hours nonstop. <laughs> were you with uh, were you were you with Diana on that day? <laughs> <laughs> you you know you you wouldn't be um, you wouldn't be mistaken for trying to put us in that category. Uh, all right. Well, um, <laughs> Sophia's looking very excited uh, sitting over on the couch with a pair of bottles. I'll let her tell you all what those are. Yes, I've got two bottles of condiments here. <laughs> <laughs> One that has taken over our lives. It's curry sauce from Hella. So it's uh, a Dutch sauce that works well with everything, including sausages. And uh, the other one that I've got in my other hand is a French Creole chili sauce made in Marrickville called Bonda Manjac. So let me know if that was pronounced correctly. Uh, but let's read this. It's popular all over the Caribbean. This Scotch bonnet pepper known in the French West Indies as Bonda Manjac has a distinctly bold, <laughs> slightly sweet flavor that gives the region's cuisine that unmistakable kick. Um, by all means, this yeah. is not sweet. Then, then does Sophia out. does a lot of voice work. So if you, if you wanted to read out the back of your bottles, okay. this episode is off the rails. Uh, Mike, do you want to round it out? Yeah, um, I'm going to recommend a board game. Uh, it's an offshoot of Pandemic. It's uh, called Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu. Uh, it's essentially Pandemic, but it's set in the Cthulhu universe. Um, so instead of destroying diseases... You're destroying uh, what's it called again? Um, the cult, the, cult the cultists leaders. and the Strogoth. Strogoth. I think so. Strogoth. I think I'm that right. You're Strogoth. Yeah. Oh, Strogoth. Strogoth. Yeah. yeah. Um, Strogoth. I, <laughs> <Strugganoff. laughs> I think it's how it's pronounced. Strogoth. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> definitely recommend it, Sam. It's very fun. Absolutely. Now it's fun. Is it Cthulhu or Cthulhu? How are you supposed to Cthulhu? Is it Cthulhu? Cthulhu. Oh, I've been saying it wrong all these years. You actually said it two different times. I know, I said it, I corrected myself. Uh, All right, well, uh, that takes us to the end of the episode. Um, I'd like to thank our returning co-host. Thanks again, Sharon. Thank you. Thanks, Sophia. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. All right, well, uh, to all the listeners, uh, until next time, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dye, Chucks Montano, Sharon Zab, Patrick Antolovich, and Denise Tang. Recording and editing was done by Patrick Antolovich and Denise Tang. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thank you for listening.